The Stalk Talks podcast brings you intelligent discussions of topical issues inspired by the international city of peace and justice. I think we all know what we need to do. Problems, they come like a costume. They fit you. Remove our inner critic and open our inner, you know, curiosity. You know, nothing speaks louder than money. Walk in, slam your fist on the table, so... (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Something has to change. Welcome back to another episode of Stalk Talks. I'm Zoe. And I'm Tom. And this week, Stalk Talks looks at the past, present and future of media communication and how multimodal methods of communication are changing the way we view and consume news. The global pandemic has had a huge impact on already existing trends. Absolutely, Zoe. We took a look at the 2020 Digital News Report by the Reuters Institute, based on the EU government survey of over 80,000 online news consumers in 40 markets. Perhaps most interestingly, they show that the news consumption in general has gone up, with TV news up 14% in Europe and an increased use of social media as people look to stay informed about the virus while living in greater isolation. And they also found that only 38% of respondents said that they trusted the news most of the time. This follows a general downward trend in trust in the news and media from previous years. In fact, 56% of respondents admitted that they were concerned about what was real news and what is fake. So as a result, more engaging formats like podcasts uh, are being used to improve trust and to engage audiences. In today's hyper-technological world, new and fascinating methods of multimodal communication are popping up all the time. Increasingly, there's a focus on what we term immersive experiences, methods of communication that engage all of your senses and encourage you to completely immerse yourself in an experience. VR and AR are excellent examples of such immersive technologies, but there are multiple other ways in which we can become more engaged and audience engagement is what today's media is all about. And that's why without further ado, we would like to welcome our guest of today to talk about this topic, Petra Ardai. Welcome, Petra. Hello. Welcome, welcome, Petra. Now, Petra is the artistic director of the Amsterdam and Budapest-based art collective called Space. Uh, Petra has wide experience making documentary theatre and immersive storytelling in various media. She produces interactive performances, multimedia installations, online art, heritage apps, and podcasts. So, Petra, we, we really look forward to having you today on Stalk Talks so that we can dig into some of these these fascinating topics. Perhaps we can start with an apparently simple question. What does communication in its broadest sense mean to you? That was my cat. I'm sorry if you hear my cat. <laughs> I mean, that's a form of communication, right? It's like reaching Indeed. out to get some food. And yeah, so I think, uh, I think there's nothing really else than communication. I mean, we are trying to make contact. And every time you make contact, you make contact with words. You make contact with body language. You make contact with where you take a spot in a space. So I think uh, what is communication? Communication is everything. But now, Petra, I know that you, and you've already mentioned this to us, you've mentioned the idea that for you, communication in essentially the narrative or storytelling encompasses most forms or, or many forms of communication. So perhaps you can just 
tell us a little bit more about that that way of looking at things. Right. So I I actually think that the, the impact of storytelling or making narratives is highly underestimated in, in society because in general, I don't think there is anything else. As I don't think there's anything else than communication, I can also say that there is nothing else than storytelling. Because if you look at your memories, I mean, what, what's happening in your in your head, your thoughts, they are a kind of narrative that is inside your head. Most of the things are recycling uh, past memories. So in a way, that is fictitious because it's not present yet anymore here. So you are in a way uh, remembering things. And when you remember things, they happen, but you recall them. So they're not happening now. So in that sense, they are tending towards the fictitious. So it is anyway a narrative that you generate in your head, your thoughts, mm-hmm. right? And if you imagine the, the future or you think about what's going to happen, that's naturally also fiction because you don't know yet because it didn't happen yet. So the only thing that's really truly uh, authentic and real is the right the moment, but it's already past, right? So it's you can't really grasp it. It's stuck between past and future, between two fictitious narratives. So if you already take the idea of how human psychic functions, you cannot detach the idea of narrative or storytelling. And if you talk about communication, you communicate these narratives to the others. And, and you it's good if you are quite aware of what your narrative of what your story evokes in the other, right? It's not only what you say, but how you say it, that can really infiltrate into the storytelling machine. And if you if you look at it from a more wider perspective, like what's coming through the media, what's coming or, or the economic narrative, or the or the political narrative, or um, or the religious narratives that are all, all out there. Yeah, you can get easily lost. Yeah, so, so maybe it's a good idea to try and look through all these narratives and all these forms of communication through some of the projects that you have done to give people some tangible idea. So you've dedicated much of your working life to some of these immersive projects, which, like you said, there's many different ways to tell these narratives. And as such, you encompass multi-model methods of communication. Uh, some of the examples like called Fake Me Heart, Robot Love and the Plurality University are some of the projects that stood out to us. And perhaps for the listeners, you can help conceptualize these projects and what inspired you about them and link that to the yeah the story of narratives and, and communication. Yeah, yeah, okay. My work is about making people more aware of how narratives are made and making their choices and, 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 and reclaiming ownership of the narrative. That's what I'm doing with everything I do. Is the podcast, is the heritage app where you walk on a site and you are completely detached from the past and then we make it in a way that you can imagine what what would you feel if that would happen to you or when you look into the migration question or climate migrants then what what would I feel if I would stand in Moria? So that's more or less the, so the politics of the personal, they make immersive experiences of understanding how do we relate our story to the stories that are out there. That's what I do. And the projects that you mentioned, uh, Plurality University, I'm founding member. It's, it's a, a French-based organization of academics and designers and artists. And it's a global network, so it's also with countries from a non-Western background. And we are trying to find new future narratives that are more inclusive and more locally and globally rooted. Could you give us a concrete example of, of a more local narrative? I can do a very, very simple one. Like there is a farming movement in the Netherlands called the Heereboeren. 
And that is like a little community of people who come together and they they, they start on a, on a ground, which is really, uh, there is a scarcity of ground in the Netherlands, right, to use. And the ground is really, really expensive, so they cannot buy it, but they don't own the land, but they find the land that is not used, for example, around the roundabout or kind of stuff. And, and they and they work together with a, with a, with a farmer and, and together they decide what they're going to grow on that piece of land. And more or less they manage with the salary of one farmer that they have their own uh, grocery and food. So it's locally produced food, com- completely fair, and it has a social aspect. It gives good life to one farmer, but they're really exercising it that they don't overconsume and they are really, really responsible. And like land ownership, that's really an in- incredibly difficult narrative and it's a very ex- exclusive narrative. It's also very powerful. I think, I mean, land ownership has been with us for a long time. Right. I mean, that's where it all comes from, right? And then people who are working on that land, and why is it your land? <laughs> so then we are in the economy of the commons. So they are they are exercising the economy of the commons combined with their everyday lives. So that's very locally rooted and at the same time responsible, so also very globally responsible. So when you talk about the media and blame the media, you detach from humans and 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 this is all human work it's human storytelling it's interpretation of things you saw it's you tell it for a certain reason so uh, whenever there is the intention behind it is not unclear then it goes wrong i mean i i can i cannot make it more fancy i mean if somebody wants to get a lot of attention and then makes a sensational news but it has no real it's not fact-checked then it's then it goes wrong or or well then then it's fiction isn't it right. then then this is just yet another form of storytelling perhaps right i think in general i use the word storytelling for all the narratives this web of narratives we live in mm. because i also consider sensory experiences and body language also and visuality also a narrative but indeed fiction is uh, it's it's often fiction yeah Perhaps we can move on, Petra. I mean, you've spoken a little bit about some of your projects, and as you've said, they're all in, in many ways immersive projects, which from my understanding, they are designed to optimize audience in, engagement and co-creative experiences. Do you think that we, in the future, we will see an increased move towards immersive projects? Right. So... When it goes wrong, I think it's a, it's about intention and not well uh, well prepared or, or or using things for establishing power or whatever. And the immersivity is also it works only if it's on an equal base. So when we talk about immersive storytelling on Facebook, that's not immersive storytelling because there is a, a program algorithm that makes us slave of, of storytelling of Facebook. So when we talk about immersive storytelling and immersive exchange of news or, or information. Then we talk about on, on an equal level. That's that's what I'm trying to do. So I'm create conditions that people get aware of what's happening to them. How do they relate to this big issue? How does that from climate change, and migration, inequality, discrimination appears in their daily life? This exclusion or connectedness. How, how does that appear? I fear. So and then we make an immersive experience that you can incorporate, you can empathize with a certain position that is maybe not yours. Mm. So you might understand how someone who thinks completely different than you 
so then immersive storytelling can can immersive experiences can depolarize because you can place yourself in the other right and you can do that in in text you can do that in a in a radio play or a podcast so you can do it in a so it's not anymore about the medium it's about uh, that whenever you make this and it is coming from a good intention and it is on an equal base then it can't go wrong but that's not what's really happening so when these coordinates shift then you get fake news. Then it seems immersive, but it's not immersive because it's a, you are participating in a dominant narrative. So that's what went wrong with the Rohingya people in, in, in Myanmar. Through Facebook, they, that Facebook was a really big part of the genocide that happened there because of the algorithm. It's programmed in a way that it, they were unwished people, right? Okay, I, mean, I think you raised some very interesting points, Petra. You're suggesting that immersive experiences can increase empathy if they're used in a careful and perhaps um, equal way, but that they can also be very overwhelming if, as you say, you step into immersive experience that is essentially a dominant, overwhelming narrative. So what I understand is that we're seeing different, two different views of, of the sort of immersive experience, one, one that is positive and helpful and the other one that is quite negative and destructive. Also that you don't know when you are on Facebook, you don't know that you are in an immersive experience. I mean, you don't realize how it infiltrates. In. So immersive is that it emerges, in, in that it goes into your, yes? That, that, so when there is transparency about the, the exchange, and, 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 and that, then there, nothing really can go wrong. Even when something goes wrong, then we say, oh, then you say to me, Petra, this is not what I wanted to talk about. I, let's talk about that because we are on the same level. You are not pressuring me. You don't. You told me this is going to be uh, on YouTube as well, uncut. So I'm aware of my conditions. So you, you address me equally. And this is not really happening. This is not happening on the side of the media. And people who collaborate on social media, they are not aware of in what kind of storytelling they are participating what I find interesting, and you're sort of, in a way, focusing on storytelling, but trying to not tell a story, but show people that the stories that are being told are not exactly on the same level. Is you're telling the story of the people who are telling the stories, so the people on Facebook and the, the companies, basically, that they're perhaps not on this, the same level, so there there's a, a disparity between them, and you're telling the story looking from the outside towards how these stories are being told. Is Is that an appropriate way to sort of summarize it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean so there, there, it's it's very important. Whatever you do, that you you don't you don't you don't put yourself outside of the problem. So I am in this with you guys and with all humanity. So I'm not better or worse. So I am exactly. I cannot talk about this. I can share ideas about this and and learn from each other. So if it's not that I am telling someone that this is like that, or, so that's that's very important. I think that you approach it from a. Yeah, from a kind of uh, eco base that I am also sensitive to uh, social media. And so I can't preach, right, or moralize, and then I wouldn't do that because then I would even polarize more. So what I can just say is that I, I, I got a kind of understanding on how stories are created and how, how narratives are fabricated. No, I, I, indeed, it's like there, there are so many different avenues to the top topic that is that are interesting to explore and there's so much going on. Um, and one thing that I want to point out and that I want to focus on is you said it's very important to find common ground. And one topic that we are speaking about is also the development of media, so the past, present and future. And what I think is interesting is that we, we see 
see a decrease in the trust in media, where back in the days we all had the same media, we all had the same level, we may have all watched the same eight o'clock news, for example, so we all had sort of a baseline. Nowadays, like you said, people might get their Facebook from multiple different sources, some from social media, some from Facebook, which results in this mistrust and perhaps a loss of common ground. And I think what's interesting, what is a follow-up result of that is a or a mistrust and disengagement of this mainstream media, of this common ground. So as someone who focuses on scenarios, what could be a solution to, yeah, to, to this problem, to this growing mistrust in the common ground or in the common narrative? I have to tell you something really strange because I'm coming from Hungary and growing up in a, in a communistic system, for, uh, there was one media and, and nobody trusted it. And that created a common ground. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just telling you, it's all about story. I mean, you cannot detach the media from storytelling. So when, the, when, when, when we are telling our story for listeners, right? And, and every time when there is a good intention, a transparent intention behind it, then it, then it, then there is a chance to create common ground. Or when it's so obviously wrong, when what it was back then, then it also creates common ground because it's rather transparent that it's not function <laughs> but now for example if hungary or other eastern european countries if we take them there's a very diffuse uh, storytelling that ke- comes also falls on a yeah so there's no 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 uh, um training of uh, democratic communications right so th- that's that's one of the one of the problems the other problems is that uh, the media is overruled by the by the government so in that sense it's uh, not really giving the news what's really happening it's more or less uh, censored right what's coming out i mean it's not more or less so yeah i think perhaps what we well what we wanted to also get at petra is this notion that increasingly news organizations are looking to make their their offerings perhaps more interactive even on a on a on a quite a low level to attract audience engagement but this perhaps is not as you said there's different forms of interaction perhaps this is not always so positive i think this is what we're getting at is does interactive engagement necessarily improve our trust or is it only in under some special circumstances, as you've suggested? And if and indeed that is the case, how could that be applied maybe to the media of today? How can they regain trust, given that we're working within the social media world? Well, I think it's also a phase. Like, yeah, so first there was the kind of, so probably we are in a phase of growing, growing and learning things, right? Like media, 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 uh, wisdom that people also more and more understand what is fake, what is, yeah. I don't know what's the next step, but it's, it's, there was first no social media, then there is social media, then we are happy with social media. Now we are trying to see the borders of it. So I don't know what's well, the next step. How would you imagine it, Petra, this, this future for us? Uh, when it comes to the tendencies of now, it's like people really need silence. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and daring to be in silence, that would be really, that would be my uh, future scenario. It's very scary. It may be for many people, true. But that could be probably a little bit of good to, to really clean out the gibberish and what, what not, what's not necessary and, 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 and reestablish a... Now we know how it can go wrong and what, what, are the, what are the movements of the... We are getting to understand what incredible power it is, this social media machine and combined with media from television mm. and everything. So now that we understand it, then how can we really use it? 
I think that brings us on to our, our last question, Tom, doesn't it? It's connected to the local. Yeah, I, I think so too. What I really like, some of the philosoph- philosophical <laughs> questions you pose, Petra, is that, like they, they start the brain and they start everybody thinking like, yeah, but that's an excellent question. Like, how would we do that? And what what do we do that? Um, and one of the topics that we were thinking about as well is the, the, the fact that the immense influx of news from this globalized society can be overwhelming. And that sometimes nowadays we, we turn to our local communities, something that we understand, something that is closer to home. And we were wondering perhaps would yeah, the sort of pendulum swing backwards towards a more local focus be able to rebuild the trust that we have in the media? So to sort of quote, locally rooted, but globally interested. Yeah, yeah, I think that would be really good. My first example with the Hera Bura, so that they are a local community and taking care of their own uh, ecological footprint, say, which is actually has a global effect, right? So you shouldn't underestimate. So the, the principles of thinking is the same. We could do that also with video. So if I know the journalist, and if I know what is uh, what what he or she writes about, because it's indeed that playground or that uh, little community garden there, and uh, or the local uh, library, and and I, and I and it has some connection to me, and and I can live it, and it's connected to the economy of the commons, right? So not so private sufficiency and uh, and public luxury. <laughs> that that would be a good good idea, and then and, and and local radio could really facilitate mm. that new way of thinking, this cultural shift. Mm. And this cultural shift that you are locally rooted and responsible globally for your ideas, so that's not that you don't care about what's happening on the other side of the world, but you, through your experience, you understand the other, the farmer in India is doing the same. That could be a cultural shift. So guys, go on. <laughs> we, we know what we need to do. Our work is cut out for us. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. All right. Uh, time flies. As always, this was a fascinating and slightly overwhelming conversation, but I think that can be a good thing sometimes to, to, to have something that doesn't fit neatly into a box. Thank you so much for joining us today, Petra, on Stalk Talks. To our audience, to our listeners, if your interest has been piqued by any of the very many fascinating topics we touched on or any of Petra's fascinating projects, you can find out more information on the website. And I believe it's www.spaceexplorers.nl. Yeah, I think Zoe already said it, but uh, thank you, Petra, for joining us. Uh, It was a delight to have you and to uh, have our our narratives challenged and our minds opened up to the possibilities that we may see in the future. (laughs) Uh, to our listeners, we would say uh, thank you as well for joining us uh, for another episode of the Stalk Talks podcast. Uh, if you want to find out more about previous episodes, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook or Anchor. And remember that you'll be able to watch the full unedited interview with Petra on our YouTube channel called Stalk Talks. Thank you for stalking with us this week and we look forward to welcoming you back in the next